good morning once again. Good morning. Good morning. For those of you that maybe missed last week's sermon, it was the start of a sermon series. That's okay. I'm going to do a little bit of a refresher. Uh, we, we began this journey into this new sermon series that I'm calling But God. Amen. But God. And we discussed how there aren't many other words that have offered more assurance, peace, and strength like this little phrase, but God. Amen. And so we, we jumped back to the start of this world's history, and we found out that because of sin, we all live in a world that we were not designed to live in. And so as we go into this sin-filled world, as we go into this broken life that we were never designed for, we go into it with this amazing phrase, but God. Amen. Because of this, to those of us who love him, whatever you were going through, no matter how hard it is or how much it hurts, that thing, that circumstance is not the end of the story. Amen. God will write an ending for you. That will go beyond what you could have imagined or thought. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. From there, we looked at the first two instances of this phrase, and we found that they both took place in Genesis, and they both came from the mouth of Joseph. And even after all the heartache, pain, and waiting that Joseph had to experience, he was still able to give God credit for the ultimate good that came about. In Genesis 45.8, in speaking to his brothers that had wronged him so much, Joseph said, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And he went on later to explain just how great God was, saying to his brothers again, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. We then jumped back to the beginning of the story, and we saw how it all began with dreams. It began with dreams of, of Joseph and his family bowing down to him. And his brothers so despised this dream, so despised Joseph, that they sold him into slavery, but God's favor went with Joseph into every situation that he found himself in. Eventually, more dreams came. And God gave Joseph the ability to interpret the dreams of two of Pharaoh's servants. And then, eventually, God gave Joseph the opportunity to interpret two dreams of Pharaoh's himself. And from here, Joseph became second in command over all of Egypt. And his wisdom led to the savings of thousands of starving people that were around during this seven years of great famine. And Joseph's brothers, they, they finally come. They fulfill the dream. And Joseph, as they're bowing down to him, comes clean to them as to who he was and who God had made him into. And he didn't exact revenge, but instead he drew near to them and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. You meant all that you did for evil, but God 
For me, I take Joseph's words here as going all the way back, past all the things that had transpired. He's taking his brothers back beyond the famine, beyond them selling him into slavery, beyond their jealousy, beyond his coat of many colors, beyond his dreams. He's taking them back to the fundamental aspect of their relationship where they simply viewed him as brother. Basically, Joseph is saying, brothers, I'm willing to start over again with you. And isn't this exactly what God says to us? He's like, yes, my child, I'm fully aware of all the horrible things that you've done. But those were taken care of at the cross, and you are now forgiven. You're my son. You're my daughter. Let's start back from the beginning and create a new family dynamic between us where there is no separation. Full reconciliation. This is beautiful. And Joseph, in this story, it's like he, he steps in like a picture of Jesus. Joseph is saying, yes, you, my brothers, may have done horrible things, but that doesn't change your identity. It doesn't change the fact that you are my brothers. And God says, yes, you may have acted like a prodigal, but that doesn't change your identity. It doesn't change the fact that you are my child. Jesus stepped into our lives. And now he lives in us through his spirit and he wants us to now step into the lives of others. Remember, as we touched on last week, God isn't just working in our own personal life, but, but he's got a bigger plan, a bigger agenda that includes the entire world. And Joseph is talking to his brothers, he wanted them to catch that bigger vision that God has. Chapter 45, verse 5 of Genesis, he says, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, we don't know exactly how God would have gotten Joseph to Egypt to save so many lives if his brothers hadn't sold him into slavery. But we can trust that it would have happened because God said that was his plan. God had a plan A, and I'm sure that God's plan A was a perfect plan. But Joseph's brothers, they decided to go with plan B. Yet God still worked through it all to bring about his good plan. As I mentioned last week, sometimes good plans come in painful packages, but the good plan still comes about. So Joseph looks at his brothers and says, yeah, you sold me into slavery. But he doesn't go through all the clarifications of, of making it super clear to them that they had been forgiven. He didn't say, these are all the steps that I, that I made in order for me to get this place of forgiving you. No, he just says, hey, y'all, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. In other words, 
I have already forgiven you. Are you willing to forgive yourselves? Joseph has already seen God's hand. He's forgiven all past wrongs against him. And now his heart, because of that, is for his brothers. And again, this is just like Jesus. This is how the writer of Hebrews could say that God said, I have forgiven them and their sins will be remembered no more. God has forgiven us. Are we willing to forgive ourselves? Again, we get so easily caught up with wondering what we need to do, but over and above that is what God has already done. Yes, we've made huge messes in our lives and in the lives of others, but God. And in those first two instances of this phrase in the Bible there in Genesis, we see what could at first possibly be viewed as a contradiction. In Genesis 45 eight, Joseph says, it was you, my brothers, who sent me here, but God. And then in Genesis 50, 20, he says, you, my brothers, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And, and we see this amazing thing, this, this mind-boggling thing throughout the story there. There is no evil in God. There is only good, but there is evil in the brothers and in their actions. But God claims that he was the one who sent Joseph into Egypt. And so there's this this back and forth that takes place in this story. It was the brothers, but it was God. It was the brothers, it was God. And it goes on and on and on. So how do we explain all that? How do we explain all that? I recently heard Christian author Jim Fowler put it this way. God is the ultimate cause of all things in the universe, but without being culpable of anything evil. Now, that kind of blows my mind. <laughs> like, I, I, I understand the words, but maybe not the full understanding of all those words together. Essentially, it's that God is so big, God is so good, that even when something looks bad, he's still in the midst of it, changing that bad thing into good. Amen. The truth of the matter is this, dear friends. We have to have a big God. We have to have a big God. We have to have a God that is bigger than us, bigger than our feelings, bigger than our circumstances, bigger than all the problems that we might face. If we could just easily and fully comprehend and understand the mind of God, then God would have a very small and simple mind. And why would we trust him? Why would we be led to trust him? We know a lot of people that think just like us. We often don't trust them. But, but, but God's mind is, is so much bigger than that. Think about Job, the story of Job. All the things that happened to Job, horrible things, terrible circumstances, just one thing after another. And finally, Job gets upset and he gets upset with God. And he says, where are you, God? Where are you? And if you're paying close attention to the story of Job, once you get to the end of the story, 
you realize that God has said a lot of things, but he never answered Job's question. The one question Job asked, God didn't answer it. Instead, God asked Job 77 questions in return. (laughs) None of which Job could answer. Yet, that seemed enough for Job. His response back to God was essentially, I thought I knew you, but now I see that you're so big, so smart, so just, so good, even if I don't understand everything about you, I still am going to trust you. Amen. Do we get that? Amen. Are we at that point Amen. with God? Joseph got it. And we know that because he was ready and willing to administer love and forgiveness to his brothers, even after all the hell they'd put him through. Amen. His brothers couldn't handle that. <laughs> they, they, they threw themselves down at his feet, saying, we're now your servants. And Joseph responded, get up. I don't want servants. I want family. I want relationship." Isn't it amazing that when the dream that Joseph had all those years ago as a young boy, when it was finally fulfilled, that Joseph didn't even want it. God had worked in Joseph's life so much to the point that those things that he thought he wanted when he was younger, his brothers, his family bowing down to him, once he finally got it, he didn't need it because he knew who he was in God's eye. He didn't need to see it in his brother's eyes. He didn't see, need to see his, his father bowing the knee. God had truly transformed the heart of Joseph, Amen. renewed his mind. Yes. Now, therefore, he says to his brothers, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now remember, all the heartache, all the pain, all the struggle that Joseph had gone through up to this point, it could all be traced back to his brothers and how they treated him. It would have been easy to respond in vengeance. It would have been easy to throw them in prison or to be off with their heads, but instead, he met them with love and forgiveness. Can we do that with the people in our lives that have wronged us? Amen. Amen. Whew. Yeah, not if, we're, if we haven't been changed. If we can't forgive somebody in our life, it's because we have forgotten how much we have been forgiven by God. Amen. Full stop. If we are offended by what somebody says about us, it's because we have forgotten what God says about us. And we walk around as a, as a quote-unquote church family holding unforgiveness in our hearts, being offended by so, what someone said 10 years ago. Amen. This isn't the life that God wants for you. Amen. This isn't the experience of unity in the body of Christ. Joseph could have easily given in to all that. He had every opportunity and it wasn't just because he, he, was, he was offended by some lie. I mean, they did him dirty. Amen. 
They did it wrong. But he says, I want to comfort you. I want to speak kindly to you. And again, his brothers, they probably never experienced anything like this in their life. Maybe we haven't experienced anything like this in our life. We're mean to someone. We say hurtful things. And we usually get met back with hurtful things and mean words. But when you're, when you're trying to tear someone down and they respond in love, Amen. it's interesting. <laughs> it can be scary. Yeah. What's going on here? This isn't what I'm used to. And that's exactly the experience that his brothers had. They were afraid yet he was still willing to minister to them and forgive them. And Joseph, he is focusing on making sure his brothers can forgive themselves because he knows that they will never truly be free until they can do that. And this is what God wants for all of us. He wants us to walk in the truth that we are forgiven so that we can relate to him as family which is all he's ever wanted. It's all he's ever wanted. Ephesians 1 tells us that before the very foundation of the world, God chose us. He predestined us for adoption as his sons and daughters. We forget that. And so when I look at the story of Joseph, and specifically these two statements that he makes to his brothers, I I see this phrase as but God, as like the, the, the biggest, the universe's biggest stirring stick that we can imagine. Because you, you stick that phrase into a mess and you stir it around a bit and miracles come out. But God. Dear friends, we need a bigger God. Many of our biggest struggles in life are because we believe God is too small. Our God is too small in our eyes and our woes and our problems and our feelings and our circumstances loom too large in our own eyes. And I believe that some of this struggle comes from what one author terms the sin of certainty. The sin of certainty. We feel like we need to have all the answers. We feel that our faith is shaky if we don't have it all figured out. At some point in the Christian journey, we lost sight of the importance of awe, wonder, and mystery when it comes to God. The closer we get to God, life and faith should grow to be more profound, more wondrous, not less. We, especially in the American Christian church, we're we're drawn to routine, predictability, and, and removing guesswork from our lives. But the more that you have in this life, the more fear that you have that you're going to lose it. And the fear of loss negatively affects our relationship with God. Because we walk around scared. But we don't have to live this way. For God has not given us this spirit of fear, He calls us to have a sound mind and trust him even when we don't have all the answers. And ain't none of us have all the answers. 
And we have stories like Joseph's to, to help guide us into a deeper faith. Joseph didn't have all the answers. Joseph was always off on the timing of things. He thought the deliverance, he thought the fulfillment of the dream was right around the corner. When he was a little boy, when he rose in Potiphar's house, when he got out of prison, but years went by. Let's go back to Genesis 50, 20. Joseph, again, speaking to his brothers, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. There's a word there, meant, and, and that word, it's used twice in this text, and it's the same word used, same Hebrew word that's used both times. And it literally translates to mean to weave together or contrive, to plan and then execute that plan. So the brothers did their best in putting together what they thought was an ironclad plan to get rid of their annoying little brother. But God comes in and says, oh yeah? Well, just watch what I can do. You can weave a plan, but I can weave a thread into that plan that is going to change the entire design. Dear friends, how many times do we look at the circumstances in our lives and wonder how in the world God could ever fix this mess? We, we become despondent. We want to give up and just accept that we're doomed. But then God steps in and does something, says something, points something out that we never noticed before, and that one little thing changes everything. Because God can take the very fabric we've weaved into the mess of our lives and he can weave one heavenly thread that makes it all together different. Amen. Makes it all together good. In the story of Joseph, his brothers were planning and executing their own plan, which we are told was devised for evil. Yet at the same time, in working within that exact plan, God is planning good and executing his plan for good. Joseph's brothers thought they were the directors of their play. But God came in and said, no, uh-uh, I'm directing this play. God used the same setting, the same actors, the same script, but brought it to a completely different ending that the brothers had planned. The truth of the matter is this. When we find ourselves in a deep, dark valley, we are prone to think, there's no way God could be in this. And we could be fighting and clawing to get out of that valley as fast as possible, but we wouldn't be in that valley if God wasn't already there. Our God says that he will never leave us or forsake us. We don't need to fear that we can be put into circumstances that are so dark, so desolate, so hopeless that God can't meet us there. God was in the fiery furnace with the three young Hebrew men. God was in the belly of the great fish with Jonah hearing his prayer. God was beside the woman at the well when she thought that everybody in her life had deserted her. And with us, no matter how bad things may be, God is in the deepest valley. Some of y'all know this. Some of y'all have experienced this. Some of y'all have told me about these experiences. 
God is real. God is there. He didn't cause that bad thing, but he's in it. God is orchestrating the universe. He uses the free choice of humans to somehow accomplish his own will. We can't comprehend that. We can't fully grasp that. It's mind-boggling. But this is why Paul wrote that God's ways are so far are finding out. We can't figure it out. The depths of his wisdom and knowledge are far beyond our human comprehension. So instead of constantly trying to fight our way out of any difficult situation, what if we were willing to just sit down and allow God to meet us there? It might not be easy. It might not, in the eyes of the world, seem to make a lot of sense. But God in Exodus 14, 14 has promised that he will fight our battles for us and all we have to do is hold our silence and our peace. Are you willing to have the experience of Joseph meeting with God in the valley and allowing allowing him to lead you out, not in your timing, not when you want it to end, but in his own timing? so that you can truly see him, know him, and love him in such a way that you can then be an instrument to touch and change the lives of others. Just like Joseph. Just like Jesus. And Joseph was a type of Jesus. We don't have time to go into all of it, but I want to at least share just a few of the ways that Joseph's story connects with Jesus' story. Joseph's brothers did not believe him and hated him. The Jews did not believe Jesus and hated him. Joseph's brothers rejected his rule. The Jewish leader said, we will not have Jesus rule over us. They stripped Joseph of his garments. They stripped Jesus of his garments. Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife and did not sin. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Joseph was condemned with two criminals. Jesus was crucified between two criminals. One criminal was saved and the other was lost in Joseph's story. Jesus told one of the criminals, you will be with me in paradise. Joseph was in prison based on false charges. Jesus had false witnesses testify against him. Joseph was cast into a pit and later delivered out of it. And according to Ephesians 4.9, Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth and later ascended into heaven. Dear friends, God truly is the director of all of our stories. All of our stories. It's when we forget this truth and that Christ is the ultimate victor that we begin to lose hope and sink below the waves of life's many storms. But in keeping with the new practice that I started last week, I'd like to offer you a practical way to apply something from today's sermon. So pull out your phones, take a picture of this week's secret place practice. I'm gonna give you the opportunity this week to think of a few difficult circumstances you've been worrying about lately. Is it possible that you've allowed your fear or uncertainty to become bigger than God in your mind? Spend some time reflecting on Exodus 14, 14 and believing it to be true and thank God for fighting for you. 
One of the greatest ways to abide in Christ, to experience the sanctified life, the process of sanctification, is to allow him to take control of the situations in your life where you feel most fearful and most hopeless. God has offered to fight your battles for you. Won't you let him? Won't you let him? Before we have our closing prayer, I'm going to invite David to come forward and stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge for today. And after the benediction, you who wish can be dismissed. But if there's anybody here who has any special, specific needs, specific requests, maybe you've got a praise that you would just really like to share, then we would love to speak with you, listen to you, and then take your petition, take your praise to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your desire to be a part of our lives. And, and we thank you that even though in this world we face difficult circumstances, hurtful people, harmful situations, there is always a but God. Lord, you are always ready and willing to bring your good plan into all things. Are we willing to trust it? Are we willing to accept it? Lord, may we never place a period where you have placed a comma. May we always be willing to trust in you, even in the darkest times, even in the deepest valleys. May we learn to trust and believe that you are there with us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross that we can know that our sins are forgiven. It's because of his resurrection from the grave that we know that, that resurrection life is ours. Amen. Lord, we accept your spirit into our lives. And we allow you to do whatever is necessary to speak through us, to walk through us, to act through us. Lord, we fully submit ourselves to you in your amazing grace. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen.